0: Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church.
1: Well, welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God. And uh, I've got so many topics that I could talk about today that <laughs> it's hard to... Hard to even know where to begin. I was uh, putting together some notes yesterday to try to think of something to say and uh, looking up what's going on in the news. And it is just so overwhelming, the amount of information that uh, is, is out there that is not necessarily the good news. It's the bad news. And what can we do about it? And what's really going on? And so one of the things I, and I just put together at preparingyou.com. You can go to preparingyou, all one word, .com. I, I added a little bit more to our Matthew 8. We have the whole Bible up there, Matthew 8 and Luke 13. You can look up each chapter of the Bible, each book and each chapter of the Bible, and it's up there. And so we've been steadily going through changing and adding, you know, sidebars to a lot of the pages so that you can see what is really being talked about in the Bible when they make reference to all kinds of things from religion to money changers to what, what was the conflict with Caesar and everything. And then we, in that sidebar, we pull out certain verses, show you the words that are being used, like the word cast out and thrust out. It's from the same Greek word in, uh, in those two verses, Matthew 8 and uh, and and Luke. And we put that in there so you understand that sometimes they translate the same word differently or different words the same Uh, into the same English word, and this can start skewing your view of things. So anyway, in Matthew 8 and, and Luke 13, there's a verse in there that talks about sitting down in the kingdom with Abraham, and some people, the children of, in one place it says the children of Israel being thrust out or cast out, and, uh, and both both these verses are slightly different, uh, as says Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as slightly different in the way that they're worded. As, as we see in Matthew 8, in verse 11, it says, And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and the west, and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into the outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So, why does he... Matthew is the only one who uses kingdom of heaven. And so, we have a link in there to kingdom of heaven. So, you can look it up as to why Matthew says something that is translated into kingdom of heaven. He also uses the phrase kingdom of God, but in this particular place he says kingdom of heaven. So, what what idea is he trying to impart to you in in this process? And if you look over in uh, Luke 13, then you can go and, and read in verse 38, There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth when ye shall see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets... In the kingdom of God. See, Luke uses kingdom of God. Nobody uses kingdom of heaven. This phrase in the Greek that is translated kingdom of heaven, but Matthew. And you yourself thrust out. Well, again, that word thrust out and the word cast out, it's from the same word. And we have some links on the page that show you what that word is and and uh, what it means in the context. I actually have not. What these two verses in Matthew and Luke are about, is the fulfillment of what Christ said, that I'm going to take the kingdom away from you, meaning the Pharisees, who were in a position of power, and appointed to others who will bear fruit, because they weren't bearing fruit. Why weren't they bearing fruit? Because the Corban of the Pharisees was making the word of God didn't an effect. And the Corbin of the Pharisees, to say that is like saying the sacrifice of the Pharisees is making the word of God to none effect. Now, to be fair, there were some Pharisees that were doing something different than the Pharisees that were in power. There had been an event shortly before Jesus appears on the scene as this minister of John the Baptist. That's why he was baptized by John the Baptist. He entered into the network of John the Baptist by getting that baptism. And John said, this is the one who is to come after me. In other words, take my place when I'm gone. This this guy is the guy who should take my place when I'm gone. So what was his place? At that time, John the Baptist was literally the high priest because of these other events that are talked about in the Talmud and, and other historical uh, documents that refer to the fact that there was a large group of the Sanhedrin who walked out of the Sanhedrin under protest that's what ecclesias do is they they come out of where they're at in the city and the position that they have they come out and that calls the Greeks would call that an ecclesia that departing And if enough people come out, then that government uh, system will collapse because people say we're not going to have anything to do with these guys anymore because they're so corrupt. Well, a large number came out, but they just started up again. They had a lot of money back in them, and so they started up again. And they were Pharisees that were starting up again. There were Pharisees that walked out. The ones that walked out, I believe, based on... There's a couple of different lists as to the 70 and even a list as to who they believe were in the 120. And it's based on a lot of ancient historical documents. Uh, I call them historical documents, but, you know, writings that have come down to us and recopied. And so they're not necessarily biblical. They're extra-biblical, but they give us some idea of the history at that time. I believe that those 70, many of those that walked out were appointed by Jesus when he appointed 70. Because what Jesus was doing when he appointed 70 was he was doing what Moses did when he appointed 70. The Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin at that time had become corrupt so Jesus appointed a new Sanhedrin. He's a different king. He's operating according to different principles. He has a system of Corbin, but his system of Corbin was making the word of God to, to effect. And the Pharisees that were in power in Jerusalem, they were doing something that made their Corbin making the word of God to none effect. If you don't understand what I'm talking about, you need to because you may not know the real Christ. Because you can go through a number of other quotes. I haven't linked them all together, but they're linked one way or the other. You know, I mentioned Matthew eight eleven, And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and the west and shall sit down and with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. This sit down is an important phrase. It means join with, gather with. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which were the fathers of Judaism, the original Judaism. Now, there's lots of different forms of Judaism, lots of different denominations of Judaism, just as there's lots of different denominations of Christianity. A lot of people calling themselves Christians, and they're doing something completely different than other Christians, certainly completely different than the early Christians, and there are a lot of people that call themselves Jews and they're doing something completely different than the original people that you might call Jews or Israelites. You have people today call themselves Israelis and they belong, they're citizens of a country of Israel. But they're, they may be doing something completely different than what Moses said. And in many cases, I can point out a lot of things they're doing different. I don't like grouping people with labels like, uh, American, citizen, uh, Jew, uh, Israeli, uh, you have to use such terms when you're talking about, when you say Israeli, you're talking about somebody who's a citizen of Israel, which is a country over there that calls itself Israel, that may have nothing to do with the original Israel, except for the fact that it claims to have something to do with it. They may not be doing anything like what Moses said to do. And so, you could call all those people Jews, but we know the Israel over there, they have lots of different kinds of Jews in them, lots of different people calling themselves Jews. So, who's the real Jew? Who's the real Christian? Who's the real American? Well, uh, America is just, you know, a place. I mean, technically, if you're from Mexico, you're an American. Because you're part of the American continent. If you're from Bolivia, you're still an American. You're just a South American. <laughs> you're from the southern part of the American continent. So in the most general sense, America includes everybody who's from Tierra del Fuego up to the tip of the Arctic Circle. They're all Americans. Some of them are Canadians, Bolivians, Venezuelans, but they're all Americans. But when we use the term, a lot of times, people, at least in America, in the United States, think of themselves, we're the Americans, and that's a Canadian, (laughs) that's a Mexican, we're the Americans. And there is, because words are used a lot of different ways, you can certainly do that. But when Jesus is talking about the children of the kingdom shall be cast out, he's still talking about. Certain people who are making the word of God to none effect, that are not producing the fruit that it comes from a society that is operating by faith, hope, and charity, because that's that was the problem with the sacrifice of the uh, Pharisees is that it was no longer free will; it was compulsory. Uh, sacrifice. You were compelled to sacrifice. There were people assigned to make sure you sacrificed and if you did not sacrifice the right amount for what you produced and literally an income tax you know if you produced a hundred bushels of grain ten bushels of that had to go to the temple and you were registered and there would be guys checking how much grain you know and if you caught a 100 fish, 10 of them, the value of 10 of them had to go to the temple. And there were men there to count those contributions. And those were the money changers. They were the porters of the temple. Now, originally in Israel, most of the charity was taken care of by the local congregations. And a portion of what the local congregation received went up to the next minister in a system of tens, hundreds, and thousands. Which Christ commanded that his his followers sit down. There's your sit down. That doesn't mean just sit on the ground in a little circle in tens, hundreds, and thousands, which we see Jesus commanding his ministers to make the people do. It means to actually gather together in this pattern. To take care of the needy of society in pure religion. The problem with the Pharisees' religion, there, the way in which they took care of the needy of society, which was through their sacrifice, their Corbin, was making the Word of God to none effect because it had become compulsory under Herod the Great. He had this scheme to make the contributions compulsory so that everybody. Gave their fair share, and nobody was left behind. This is what Babylon did. And we can see quotes in in Ezekiel talking about that idea in Babylon. Uh, Ezra, excuse me, I said Ezekiel. Ezra 7.25 And thou, Ezra, after the wisdom of God... That is, thine hand set magistrates and judges, which may judge all the people that are beyond the river, all such as know the laws of thy God, and teach ye them that know them not. What is the law of thy God? Well, we know one of them is thou shalt not covet. And this was the problem with the corbin of the Pharisees. It was a covetous practice because they desired their neighbor to contribute what they ought to contribute, so much so that they got them to sign up for an institution created by the Pharisees and Herod that forced the contributions of the people, so that no one would not give their share. This was always a great temptation. We see David going after An individual who was asked to contribute to his military and didn't. And so David was going to go and teach him a lesson. And the guy's wife came out and said, Wait a minute, wait a minute, David. Here I am bringing you the contribution, you know, food and supplies for your soldiers. Please spare my husband. And, of course, he did. And uh, should he have gone and forced that contribution? Well, he had a right to do it. But it wasn't right to do it. We have a right to do what's wrong a lot of the time. We have that opportunity to choose what to do that is not right to do. God gives us that right to make that wrong choice. Adam did. He made the wrong choice. Now, you have to suffer the consequences. You have the right to make the choice But you cannot escape the consequences. In this case, the guy did escape the consequences because his wife ran out and sacrificed on his behalf. This is kind of what Jesus is doing. (laughs) He's he's sacrificing himself because we won't sacrifice. But we don't have access to his grace, his sacrifice, unless we repent and actually follow after him. We won't probably do it perfectly, but we have to actually be following after Him. Well, there's a lot of quotes in the Bible from Jesus that might lead us to believe that many people think they're following Christ and actually are not following Christ. And that's really important for us to understand that many people are not actually following Christ, but they think they are. And we need to understand what that consists of because we may be one of those people that think they're following Christ and they're not. In Luke thirteen twenty three, it started off, Then said one unto him, Lord, are there few that be saved? And he said unto them, Strive to enter the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. Whoa, he didn't say some. He said many will not be able to enter in. So that's kind of the answer. He didn't directly just say a few. Because the guy was asking, were there many or a few? And he said, Strive and enter at the straight gate, for many shall say, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able to enter in. When So these these are just talking about the ones who are trying to enter in but not be able to enter in. And so Jesus' word there, the command word in that statement was to strive. You had to be striving to actually enter in at the straight gate. So that's a more descriptive term, not just at any gate, but at the straight gate, the way, the straight way. Goes on in verse twenty five, when once the master of the house is risen up and hath shut to the door, and ye begin to stand without and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us, he shall answer and say unto you, I know you not. Whence ye are, then shall ye begin to say, We have eaten and drunk in thy presence, and thou hast taught in our streets. But he shall say, I tell you, I know you not. Whence you are, depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. That idea of depart from me, then he goes in, that's where you get the gnashing of teeth, those who uh are supposed to be sitting down with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, and they're not. They're actually doing something contrary to the kingdom of God, contrary to the law of God, contrary to the message of Jesus Christ. They think they're following Christ, but they're actually workers of iniquity. And so, you know, I I was dealing with several people this week that were thinking that they're Christians. They think they eat and drink and and they do great signs and wonders and, and that they're doers of the will of Christ and that they're believers in Christ. But what they are believers in is an image of Christ that they have created in their mind, often with the help of other preachers, that just isn't really Christ. They think they are. But they're not, because they're not really entering at the straight gate. They're not really striving to do what Christ said to do. They're certainly not doing what Christ commanded them to do. So they think they're Christians, and there will be many who think that they're Christians, and are not. They're actually workers of iniquity. So you need to understand what what's a worker of iniquity. And while we have an old article up on we're not going to pursue that right now. But I also thought I'd point out a few other places like Matthew 24, 5. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive a many. There are many preachers out there deceiving people, creating that image of Christ that is a false image of Christ. And they're leading them into these works of iniquity. And we see the same thing in Mark thirteen six, Deceive many. Not a few, but many. And in Luke 21, 8, And he said, Take heed that they, that ye be not deceived. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and, you know, I am anointed, I am a minister of God. That's what Christ means. And the time draweth near, go ye not there for after them. So, and, you know, you don't want to hear, depart from me, ye workers of iniquity, that we see in, that Luke 27, 13, 27. But I'm afraid many people may hear that because they're not really doing what they're supposed to be doing. So, how do you guarantee? Well, we talk about all kinds of different things all the time. You know, the difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. That's, that's one aspect. Why... Are these people so easy to deceive? What is the mechanism of their deception? Well, in the, this, for the last several months, we've been talking about the structure of the kingdom and we're always relating it to things that are going on in the news. And one of the things that went on in the news was the coronavirus. And so we have a whole page that added more to that page on coronavirus, you know, giving you more epidemiologists to talk about the fact that we're, we're all being deceived. And we're being fooled. I share a lot of stuff on Facebook where people are pointing out the deception. And uh, the question is, how come we're so susceptible to the deception? What's going on that is deceiving us? And what is that mechan- mechanism of that process? We'll talk about that when we come back. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, so we... Like I said, I added more to the coronavirus page and uh, showing you more of that was kind of made as things were uh, developing and unfolding. And we showed you some of the information they knew early on. And then anybody who's watching closely, I mean, early on masks were not necessary. Fauci said it. CDC said it. World Health Organization even said it that masks really weren't going to do much. And the reason why is people who are virologists know the size of viruses. That, you know, when you're talking about a micron, they're just a fraction of a micron. You know, the, the, the tininess of a virus is so small. When they talk about droplets of virus, they're, they're talking about almost nothing in, in size. I mean, you can't even see it under a microscope. The pictures they have, those are not microscopes. Those are electron microscopes. You cannot see this thing with your visible eye. It is it is an extremely simple structure. It's way smaller than a cell. And it can't even reproduce itself. It can only be reproduced by you. And when I've talked before about uh, the fact that it depends upon another reproductive system, this is what evil does. It, the, there are forces in nature that we call evil, which is simply the absence of good. They cannot reproduce themselves; they must be replicated. They must get out there. They must recruit. There, because they do not reproduce, they require others to reproduce them. And this is a an important part of God's creation: is that some things do not reproduce themselves, yet they get reproduced. How do they do that? Well, we use this word replicate. No, you can use the word recruit. And how, you know, like uh, many of the people who are gay, or think they are gay, I should say. Because they're not really gay. They're, they're not really homosexuals. They, they think they're homosexuals, so they act out that process of homosexuality. And they can't help it. That's what the Bible says. They won't be able to help it. They will be turned over to this unnatural lust. And it is unnatural lust. Because if, if we're all about evolution, the, whatever this gay gene is, where people say we're just born that way, would have been annihilated through the process of evolution because they don't reproduce. They, it would, it would go away. Uh, eventually there would be no such thing because it doesn't reproduce itself and so that would, it becomes become so recessive it would become non-existent. So it has nothing to do with genetics. Uh, what we see in the, the people called the gay community it has nothing to do with genetics. You're not born that way. You are that way because of a social construct. Because of events in your life and the way in which you reacted to them that has brought you about to this state of mind where you think that you're gay. And I have compassion for that. It doesn't say that we're supposed to hate them. We're supposed to see it for what it is. Now, of course, this is so controversial now that, I mean, if I was saying this on YouTube, I'd probably get banned. I'm just saying, and and you, the history will bear it out, the statistics will bear it out, that there's a traumatic event somewhere in that individual's life that sets their mind in a particular pattern of thought that eventually leads to the idea that they think they are gay. And then they affirm that through actions and then they are like stuck in that rut. And they can't get out on their own. There is a way out. A psychologist is probably not good. Most psychologists are probably not going to do this. Well, uh who's a famous gay news announcer who's fell out of uh, favor. (laughs) I guess I don't hear much from him. Uh, I can't think of his whole name, but I think that's enough to find him. Uh, He has an interview with a psychologist, a clinical psychologist, which is Jordan Peterson. I listened to it once while I was working in the shop. Somebody was playing it or something on a phone or something, and I could hear it. A fascinating interview. Because in the interview, the, the clinical psychologist, empathetic, listening to uh, Annapolis uh, talking, Annapolis was revealing. And he's a smart guy. He was revealing. He was ended up saying out loud why he was gay. Now it didn't make him stop being gay because he still he has compounded the ruts in his thinking. I don't know what he's doing now, so that he's gone down a particular path and now it's very difficult to get back. You can get back in an instant. But not by your own personal decision. You have to make the decision somewhere else. It doesn't have, they are turned over to that way of thinking. Something else they have to see or confront. Well, those are extreme cases of how your mind can be deceived into thinking a particular way and you cannot get out of it. What we're going to talk about today is the subtle, where you, your mind, you may not be gay, you may be heterosexual and that's not a problem with you, but you can be made to think a certain way and then you get stuck in that. They call it grooming. It's part of that replication process. in in the gay community. They call it grooming. And, you know, child molesters do it. They groom people. They prepare them. Well, one of the things, and we'll just jump ahead a little bit, and we'll come back and visit this. One of the things they do to groom you, if you're going to get into a religious cult, we have whole sections up on cult. You can go listen to the audios on that, and we have articles on it, because we wanted to know what a cult is to make sure that we're not one. (laughs) We are the worst cult leaders, and, and you can imagine because we do everything just the opposite of what a cult leader would do. But one of the things they do is they get you to do something that is rather nonsensical, doesn't make any sense, it's not really even important, but they get you to do it, and it's odd. It's the bizarre; it is the better. You know, of course, you see where if you're going to join the mafia, the mafia, gangs do this all the time. They get you to do something horrendous. Kill somebody, rape somebody, uh, betray somebody. They get you to do that and then they got you. They they put you, now you become a part of them because you've stepped over this line to be a part of them. And But it doesn't always start with a big thing. We talked a little bit about that. That uh, documentary push, where they they actually convince several people to commit murder in less than twenty four hours, with a series of actors creating situations where normal people on the street end up committing, technically committing murder. They think they're committing murder, and uh, they they do it by getting you to. Take those little steps. Not big steps. They do it with these little steps. They, they may seal you in with a big step. But they get you, they groom you with the little steps. Where you accept an idea and act upon it. It's, it doesn't hurt anybody. It's no big deal. There's usually some little thing that goes on, but they justify that. Somehow they get you to do this irrational, irresponsible, maybe even a little immoral, little white lie kind of thing, and then they they have you in a position where it becomes difficult to stop from doing the really bad things. That's going to lock you in. The trauma that's going to lock you in. They start with micro traumas. <laughs> you know where they what they microaggressions all the people talking about things like microaggressions they're on the side of evil but they're telling you exactly what their plan is they don't even know it themselves in their conscious mind but they have to reveal their plan just like the, the snake in the garden of paradise he's telling you what he's going to do <laughs> but uh, he's doing it in a way where you might miss it I'm first observing. Well, what, one of the, uh, I'll have to say, cults, uh, is, uh, there's a lot of cults in the Christianity, and there's a lot of cults in the Muslim religion, so I have to, and there's a lot of cults in the Jewish religion. Uh, Cult Factors of cults, you know, uh, characteristics of cults, and many of these different religions, you know, Catholics, Protestants, they all do it. So, what exactly are they they getting you to do that you should not be doing that is grooming you, preparing you? And, of course, like with a virus and enters into a cell, it has to unlock a door, get into the cell, manifest itself, literally make itself known to the interior of the cell, which now figures out where all the molecules are and replicates those molecules. Those RNAs that are in this envelope, they they kind of dissect it. One cell will do this and reproduce that exact uh, virus, which is just an exosome from another creature, and reproduce it and then release like 20 copies into your bloodstream. And that's how you you get sick, is the cell sees something, thinks it's supposed to replicate it, replicates it, and it's not supposed to replicate it. But it it thinks it's supposed to, so therefore, you know, with whatever brain is in a cell, (laughs) a single cell, and it replicates it and sends it out into your body. All cancers, everything, has to do with the same type of process. Well, that process goes on in society where we get an idea into our heads it contaminates our thinking. It creates ruts and scars in our thinking through trauma, and then we go out and try to replicate it in other people. You try to get other people to go along with this idea, which may be a goofy idea, but to you it's bread and butter. It's important now because you've been groomed to accept it. See, a good immune system when that sees many of the cells just simply won't let the virus in. A virus may wander around in your body for days, you know, hours, days, weeks, maybe even months. And no cell will let it in to replicate it. But it's in in your body, there's fluid and everything there, so it continues to exist, and then suddenly, it finds a cell that lets it in, you know. It's like the big bad, big big bad wolf, you know, knocking at the door. Let me in, <laughs> but it can't blow your house down until somebody lets it in, so it can be replicated because it cannot replicate itself. You have to be the instrument of your own disease. You, you Your disease is caused by the fact that your body let in something that it should not have let into the cell so that your cell began to replicate it. Now, you've got cells in your body that when it recognizes that a cell is replicating something that it's not supposed to be doing, you have things in your body that will kill that cell. Kill, your own cells will kill your cells For replicating that virus. And that's part of the process. Now how does that translate over into society? And and the reality is is that many of the... I'll tell this just real briefly. Many of the places in the Bible where it talks about like the Levites slaying so many thousands of people. At the camp, the walled in camp of the golden calf. Did they actually kill people? Murder them? They might have. There is a possibility that people were killed, but but I can tell you this, that if this was operating according to the principles of of God, they only killed people who tried to kill them, who tried to cause their deaths. But what it may actually mean is they were, like uh, in, in... in a movie where the guy says, write his name down and strike a line through it. <laughs> it was just making the note that we're not going to have anything to do with it. They are dead to us. They are, they are not a part of what we're doing. They are dead to us. And, uh, and throughout literature you find that in numerous places where somebody is, uh, is dead to Dead to this individual. Fiddler on the roof. You know, his daughter marries outside of the Jewish faith. And she's supposedly dead to them. Well, later on, she is raised from the dead in the heart of her father who eventually accepts the fact <laughs> that she's married this guy from outside the faith. And uh this is... These are metaphors, like the parables. See, Jesus has to talk in parables, because if he actually told you flat out the truth, and we give you a little bit more of the truth sometimes than Jesus was even willing to give to the general public. But we also cloak it a little bit. We can't tell you too much, because I'm not supposed to attack your delusion. But I don't know how to tell you these things, that most of you out there in the world who think you're following Christ are probably workers of iniquity. Many of you certainly are. Not just a few. So when you count 32,000 or 40,000 denominations, people say, well, we're all one body, even though we're different denominations. And we're all, we all believe in Jesus. A lot of people thought they believed in Jesus, but he said, I don't even know you. And he didn't even know them because they didn't even know him. And they were actually workers of iniquity. So how do you again get to that point? Let's go back again to where that trauma begins. It begins in those little things. And one of the little things, that is a big thing when the radicals take over, but at one point, one of the little things is the women were all to wear burqas in the Muslim religion. Now, all, all Muslims don't wear burqas. And so, when we say Muslim, that's again, that's one of those terms, you know, like when you say Jew or Christian. You know, it's too general of a term. It, you, there's a lot of people saying they're Christians. And a lot of people saying they're Jew. I mean, even in, in the, the Bible, it talks about those who say they are Jews, but are actually the synagogue of Satan. Well, at that time, Peter said he was a Jew. (laughs) Because it wasn't until Antioch that they were called Christians. Uh, One of the things that irks me and it came up this week again is that they said the kingdom was postponed because the Jews did not accept Jesus. And some will say, oh, no, I just mean the hierarchy did not accept Jesus. Well, if... Half or more than half of the Sanhedrin, which according to the ancient scripts was leading us to believe that half of the ancient Sanhedrin, just about at the time of John the Baptist and then Jesus Christ, walked out of the Sanhedrin under protest because of corruption. They were an ecclesia, they walked out. And then who did they recognize as the high priest? John the Baptist. Why was John the Baptist recognized as high priest? Because he was the son of the high priest at that particular time when the high priest was murdered in the Holy of Holies. Which Jesus talks about. And people kind of wander around it all the time like it's not that significant. But he says, you know, the blood is on their hands. As soon as somebody is killed in the temple especially in the Holy of Holies, it has to be rededicated. You have to start all over again. At the same time, you got Sanhedrin walking out. And you, then you have Jesus come along, appointed to follow after John the Baptist, who is the legitimate high priest of for those people who walked out. And he says, this is the one who had to come after me. Who is Jesus? Who's not even a Levite? But they call him rabbi. Well, wouldn't you have to be a Levite to be a rabbi? How does he get called a rabbi? And why could Jesus, who is of the tribe of Judah, be of the tribe of Levites? By adoption. Why would he be adopted? Who's his oldest living male relative who would be head of a household? It's John the Baptist. You might go over and, and look at... uh others who were at that time who were relatives of Jesus Christ, but it was John the Baptist who baptized Jesus. So it's, according to the law of family, now John the Baptist is the elder to Jesus. A couple of months, but still the elder. So when he got baptized by John the Baptist, John the Baptist can say this is the one that he can now become a Levite. Not by blood, but this was always done. You had Hittites becoming Jews. They were always by adoption bringing people in. So Jesus was, when John the Baptist's head was cut off, Jesus automatically becomes the high priest. Just as John the Baptist would automatically become the high priest when his father is murdered in the temple. If his father was the high priest. Now, Eventually, you would get around and sit down in your tens, hundreds, and thousands and re-elect a new one. But there was such chaos and disorder going on at that time. You could be put to death before you turned around and blinked an eye. So anyway, all this is going on. Jesus is becoming the high priest. Then Jesus is hailed as the highest son of David when he marches into Jerusalem, which means that he is the Christ, which he's called all the time. He was called Rabbi. Now he's called Christ. These are offices. Rabbi as a Levite priest, the highest son of David as the rightful heir to the throne, Jesus is priest and king. He is now holding both offices that were divided originally by Moses when Moses turned over the priesthood to his brother Aaron, but he still was the rightful owner. Holder of the, uh, literally as a king, but he was a king like um, the fellow who said, I and my family will not rule over you. Gideon. Moses would not rule over the people. Tempted a few times to exercise authority and use his staff to strike a stone, but generally speaking, he would not exercise authority. What? If you look up our our deal on republics, and we're going to get to why I'm bringing this up, our article on republics, a republic is not an indirect democracy, and that's a, a lot of people don't understand that. In a republic, the leaders are titular; they do not exercise authority one over the other. In a republic, you may keep your rights. That are given to you by God, endowed by your Creator by certain inalienable rights, only if you strive to accept the responsibility of those rights. If you don't accept the responsibility of the rights, the rights will diminish and disappear. The access to them will disappear. You know, that's why the slothful shall be under tribute is that they they if you're slothful and you do not strive to exercise your responsibility you will end up under tribute it's cause and effect you cannot maintain your rights without maintaining the responsibility of your rights so anyway so i mentioned that the the republic idea and i i mentioned the barca which is this well, burqa is a pretty big thing. But now, let's equate a burqa with wearing a face mask for the coronavirus. If you wear, everybody has to wear, you're shamed if you don't wear a face mask. And in Iran, you're shamed if you don't wear the burqa, if you don't have the scarf on your head. Sometimes it's just a scarf so that not no hair should show from your head if you're a woman. And everybody has to wear the scarf. And if you don't wear the scarf or you don't wear it right, you're shamed. That process is the same process that you see with the imperial cult of Rome and you see with the modern day uh, cult of face masks. You have to wear the face mask. If you don't, they will shame you. They will even fine you $2,000. $2,000. And we're going to get into that. Because where's this leading to? Where, where are they going with this face mask thing? Because we know all kinds of studies. I shared a study with Ben Swan who, he put together a video with quoting half a dozen different studies over the last 10 years showing that face masks have no effect on the spread of viruses. Viruses are so small. Remember that tiny little fraction of a micron, it goes through that cloth like it's almost like air. It it is There's almost nothing to an exosome. And the reality is, is you're breathing out exosomes all the time. Most of the exosomes you breathe out are yours. You produce them. They're natural in you. They include antibodies and all kinds of other things. Uh, Messages from one cell to the other. That's how cells communicate how they spread communication throughout your whole body. You produce millions of these exosomes every day. Well, a virus is an exosome. It's just, its code is not human. It's something other than human. It could be from a bat. It could be from, um, you know, pig. It could be from a bird. But somehow or other, it ends up with a key lock that slightly varies and allow, and some people allow, their cells allow that key to get in, unlock a cell, get in there and get replicated. The body usually detects it pretty quick and tells your body, sends out exosomes to tell your body to stop replicating the virus. <laughs> and then all the illness that you're feeling is your body fighting this infection. If your body was not quick to respond, the infection may get extreme and actually may show up symptoms. You know, fevers and, and runny nose and watery eyes and coughs and all these things may show up. And we call that disease. But those are all, that's your body fighting. it. It's not really the disease that's making you sick. It's your body fighting. The quicker your body do, does, does away with it, the healthier you, you will become. Same for your society. So what should you be doing to make your society immune to evil and tyranny? We'll talk about that when we return to Keys of the Kingdom. So we're talking about how we're influenced by doing little things that cause us to become susceptible to doing big things that are bad. And uh, this process goes on all the time. And we're literally being trained. So, anyway, I read one article by uh, Horowitz, Ami Horowitz. But, you know, he he approaches it very logically, you know, and systematically. But he misses some things. But he did say a few things that I thought were kind of interesting. You know, he says, uh, why did the CDC and World Health Organization and such luminaries as Fauci and the Surgeon General Uh, Jerome Adams, so emphatically dismiss the effectiveness of masks and then suddenly flip 180 degrees to the point where they shame people who don't wear them without ever explaining what changed. We've known for years that masks, in the case of stopping and slowing viruses, is never proven to be effective. It's not, they will, if you listen to what they say, can, wearing a mask can slow the spread of a virus. How slow? 1% slower? 20% slower? 30% slower? And then that doesn't address, that statement does not address what are the ill effects of wearing a mask. And and most of the people who are telling you on the TV or the internet that just wear the mask, you know, stupid. <laughs> They're just telling you to do it. What what is really their motivation? They say just that's one of the things he quotes. Just shut up and wear a mask. Is not and he points out that's not science. It's not ordered liberty, or constitutional governance. And and he talks about the fact that we need to start operating as if we live in a republic. Well, that's a good idea, but what about all those other things you're doing that you would not be able to do if you lived in a republic? And that is what is astounding because nobody really knows that they, they, they don't really understand what a republic is. We've come so far away from it. That I don't know how, many, I don't know very many people who could get back to it. And, you know, like the Ben Swan study that shows that there's, and, and Facebook of course covered the Ben Swan study and said that it's fake news, fake information, fact checker comes up. But they, then when you read, and this is often the case with these fact checkers, when they, you go read what they, why they say it's not true, they never said that anything he said was not true. They never contradicted or presented any information that anything that Ben Swan said was not true. They just said the studies were dated, like they were old studies. I remember back nine one one when I was communicating with the uh, harbor head of the uh, New York Harbor, the the, the top guy. He was saying that studies have shown steel frame buildings can collapse from fires. And I said, what studies? <laughs> and he quoted the study, but he didn't tell me where the study was. But in those days you could still Google things, <laughs> maybe get a right answer. And so I, I copied the quote. I searched the quote. I found the study he was talking about the study he was saying that that stated that steel-framed buildings can collapse from fires was 1906. <laughs> now, he knew it was a 1906 study, but he was out there spreading this misinformation. I don't know if he was just doing it on his own cognizance or if somebody was paying him, but this was... And I heard other people quoting, studies have shown that... Steel frame buildings can collapse from fires because anybody who's been in firefighting, anybody who's dealt with firefighters, uh, knows that steel frame buildings almost never collapse from fires. And certainly not the way we see the Twin Towers collapsing. But they will tell you, no studies have shown, the 1906 study was a four story steel frame building. And actually, the building did not collapse. The walls of the building collapsed. After they collapsed, the steel frame was still there. Why? Because four stories was as far as you could stack up bricks. And the bricks were not a part of the structure. They were just the outside wall. The steel frame was inside a four-story stack of bricks. (laughs) That's the way they built. There wasn't a skyscraper steel building. It was a four-story steel building. What happens is the heat in an intense fire that's just engulfing the entire wooden structure inside the metal structure expands the metal structure out. The metal lengthens because of the heat and pushes over the four-story brick facade. That is on the outside, independent of the steel structure. That's not skyscraper stuff. That's not the way those buildings are built. There really is no, and many engineers have said this, there's no way that that building simply collapsed because of a few fires and an airplane crashing into it. Now, that would create a whole debate, and I could spend hours debating that, but the point I was making is the 1906 study... That was dated! (laughs) It was a, the studies that Ben Swan was mentioning, 10 years old was the oldest one. And, And viruses have not changed like steel buildings have changed from 1906 to, uh, 1960 or whenever the sky, you know, the skyscrapers started going up. Empire Steel Building was one of the first that really went up. That was amazing. But anyway, the point is is that uh, Ben Swan has done a follow up with a study, and actually Horowitz mentions this study that is just a few months old, and it come to the same kinds of conclusions that uh, no masks are for viral infections are are virtually useless. They might make some tiny little difference, but it's not about the mask. It's about getting you to comply without thinking on little things. Just, just, just wear the mask. You know, just, you know, we, they were making hors d'oeuvres in the movie Push, and they were they got the guy where they were supposed to make vegetarian hors d'oeuvres and and others that were non-vegetarian hors d'oeuvres, and they ran out of some of the material, so they got him to help temporarily. Making some of the orders that were supposedly vegetarian but had meat in them. And it's just a little thing, it's not gonna hurt anybody, it's just, and we, we have to have this, uh, make it available and, and so they got him to compromise and do just that little thing. It's not, no big deal, there's almost no meat in it anyway, you know, it's all rationalizing. To do something that is slightly dishonest you know, well, what if it had peanuts in it? <laughs> he said it didn't. And somebody with a severe peanut allergy ate it and died. But the reality is it's not really about the size of the lie or the possibility of what... It's just to get you to perform something you deep down know is not right. You you know it's not right. But you're going to do it anyway because you... You don't want to offend this individual who is trying to do this good thing for the greater good. Because if we make these people unhappy, they won't contribute. We want them to be happy. That's why we cater to them at this this charity event. And so therefore we we have to, it's for the kids. That's what he actually says in the movie Push. It's for the kids. And people do it. And that's why they're getting you to wear a mask. They're getting you used to the idea that it's, it's okay. It's okay to be dishonest. It's okay to wear the mask just to wear the mask. I mean, in Texas, you can get a $2,000 fine. I couldn't believe that. I was thinking, you know, maybe a couple hundred dollars. I heard a thousand once, but 2000 I mean, wow. But see, that's the way they just up, up it a little bit. They still, the point is to get you to do something. That really doesn't make any sense. If you've already had the virus, like I've pointed this out many times, and you're now producing antibodies, or especially latent antibodies, which comes several weeks after you've had the disease, you can actually spread the antibody to other humans so that you will strengthen their immune system in case they get exposed to the virus, they will be ready. Their body will be more ready to fight it off and not get as sick. And in this, in this case, most of those viruses would come from children, young people who are healthy. And now with the advanced, advanced uh, increase in testing, they're going to be seen and they already are many, many more people ...that have had the virus and are producing antibodies... ...those people could be spreading that... ...to the people who have not yet been exposed. But masks might be stopping that as well. <laughs> and so it's really... ...it's crazy. He goes here moreover... Uh, he, ...he quotes a uh, Dr. Andrew Bostrom... ...who's uh, from the Brown University... He ...says, moreover, a subsequent pooled... ...so-called meta-analysis... Of 10 controlled trials assessing extended real world non-health care setting mask usage revealed that masking did not reduce the rate of laboratory proven infections with the respiratory virus influenza. It does not improve it. It doesn't help. And, again, these masks are put on actually to prevent, you know, bacterial infections of open wounds and surgeries and things like that. And they're put on in sterile environments after extreme scrubbing. And they're not even allowed to put their own mask on. Other people put their masks on them for them. They, they can't touch their mask again because of moisture in the mask and immediately. There'd be contamination in that moisture. As a matter of fact, the moisture on the end of your mask is more likely to pick up, uh, you know, contaminations from other people. And then when you go to take off your mask and then you scratch your face because it itches because you've had the mask on all day, you're, you're contaminated. You're more likely. It is actually, in some scenarios, external use by non-professionals more likely to spread the infection with a mask. It isn't about the mask. It's about getting you to comply on something you know is not right. But that is not really what we were going to talk about today. (laughs) But we went through all that so that we could be ready to go on to what we really need to talk about today. Uh, which is, uh, what, what's the next thing they're gonna get you to do that they haven't told you about yet? You know, cause th- that's a little thing. The mask is just, just wear the mask. You know, that's a little thing. That's not where they're going with this. So where are they going with this? What, what are they up to? what's the next phase in this process? Well, actually, there could be all kinds. Now, there's a lot of factors going on. It's not like somebody has one single conspiracy. The media is hyping all this because the media is in the business of hype to get watchers, to get the people to listen, and fear gets you to turn in. I wonder what else else is happening. It's going to get really old, so there has to be another stage. I mean, uh, and then there's a huge effort to get rid of Trump. This is really kind of a reset of the economy because of things that we've been doing wrong since 1913. There are so many factors coming together in all this. It's it's just astounding. And so anyway, I was listening to somebody else who was just talking about uh, these vaccines. There's voluntary vaccinations where you can go and get vaccinated if you want. And then there is mandatory vaccinations. Now, a mandatory vaccination is like if you want to send your kids to public school, it's mandatory that you get vaccinated. You have to go and get vaccinated to get this mandatory. Uh, and it's, it's mandated if you want to go send your kids to school. And that's going to really work to get people to take vaccinations. Is because they can, they can exclude you from airlines. They can exclude you because when the airlines start up again on, on, on a larger scale, they're going to have all kinds of things in place. So you're going to, and 15 countries already are issuing uh, st- stickers on their passports that show that uh, you already have met with compliance for travel based on your vaccinations. Uh, you know it's you you have a certificate of immunity and you don't get it if you're immune you only get it if you get vaccinated now there there was a ship that was at sea for months and months and months and everybody came down with mumps so where did they get mumps well they got it from the vaccine and we could go into all kinds of polio was not cured by vaccines The idea that they've got smallpox under control by vaccines, not so. Smallpox comes and goes. It has come and goes since the days of Rome. The first cases of what appears to be smallpox killed almost half the male population in Rome. They had no immunity to it. They got it while they were out there doing foreign wars and they brought it back to Rome. And it killed a lot of the people in Rome. They say half the male population. is probably mostly the elderly and stuff like that. People with poor immune systems. So, but, the, you know, smallpox comes around and everybody gets vaccinated. And then smallpox goes away. And they say, well, we don't, we cured smallpox with the vaccine. And they're, they're, like that's the only way to do it. Not really the case. So, you can just refuse the mandatory vaccine and maybe you don't send your kids to public school, maybe you don't fly. Of course they could actually bar you from grocery stores, uh, any place where you might have to show an ID which could increase overnight. I mean, everything we've seen recently with, uh, uh, this, uh, this whole coronavirus thing, it's just amazing how fast it went through society. The fear went through society. Much faster than the virus. But uh, somebody sent me, actually several people sent it to me. Uh, two of the people who sent it to me are not in the network. If you want to join the network, go to preparingyou.com and join the network. And uh, I didn't, I didn't, Look at what they sent. Because they're not even sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. They're not gathering even in the network. But they think I need to see this. Well, somebody in the network also sent it to me and I did look at it. Well, the fact is everything that was in there I already knew. Years ago, Attorney Alan uh, Dershowitz talked about this in a recent interview. He talked about it again. He says there is no constitutional protection against being forcibly vaccinated which is the third type of vaccination, which is compulsory vaccination. That's where they take you and your family down to the hospital, or maybe they just come into your house, and they hold you down and stick a needle in your arm and vaccinate you whether you like it or not, whether you need it or not, whether it does any good or not. And he's saying there is no constitutional protection against being forcibly vaccinated because no one has a right to spread a deadly disease. Nobody has a right to spread a deadly disease. Nobody has a right to kill other people. But that's not really what it's about. Now, when Dershowitz was saying it in a recent interview, the the person interviewing him suddenly is shocked. Where does the Constitution give government the authority to do this? Well of course it doesn't the The government has a responsibility to protect but it doesn't it isn't allowed to protect by taking away the rights of others it 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 only has a function to protect the rights of others. It doesn't have the right to take away the rights of some for the rights of others. Dershowitz doesn't even see that. But we're going to explore a little bit of why he brings this up and where the government got the power to do this. Now there was a case back in uh, 1904. Jacobson versus Massachusetts. And it was during a smallpox supposed epidemic which really wasn't everywhere but smallpox was showing up again in the 1900s and so some people thought well we need to vaccinate for it and 11 states created bills that allowed for either on a statewide basis or a local city basis compulsory vaccination laws. Massachusetts was one of those states and uh it said basically uh free vaccinations for adults over the age of twenty one if the municipality determined it was necessary for public health or safety in the community. Adults who refused were subject to a five dollar monetary fine. Five dollars? That's not doesn't sound like very much. Well in today's dollars that'd be about one hundred and fifty bucks, one hundred and forty eight dollars by two thousand nineteen. Probably that would be like in uh, 2025 at the rate we're going because we may have all kinds of inflation, but even $148 a day pales in comparison with $2,000 face mask fine in Texas. $2,000, and that's every incident. They give you $2,000 fine today, $2,000 fine tomorrow, $2,000 fine the next day you wouldn't wear a face mask. That isn't going to do any good whatsoever. <laughs> so anyway. I thought I'd give you a little background history of the decision. Because this ended up going to the Supreme Court. And so what's really going on. Because we're studying the structure of the kingdom. And one of the ways to study the structure of the kingdom. Is to know where the structure of the world goes wrong. That has to do with back with what we started to talk about, the kingdom of heaven comes from Basilius Oranos in the Greek. While the the kingdom of God is Basilius Theos. mean Theos referring to the creator God. Because the word Theos can also refer to Judges. And it's even translated Judges in many, many places. But Going back to this kingdom of Oranos, Kingdom of Heaven, the word Oranos is best translated world, according to scholars today, looking back at the ancient script. We translated heaven, but it actually means from the sky above to the center of the earth. That's that's what Oranos has to do with. And it often is used in reference to looking at the sky. But it doesn't have anything to do with, as we look at, I mean, there's an inadequacy of words when you're translating from Aramaic to to the Greek and then back from Greek into English. You can lose something. But kingdom of heaven is actually could be translated kingdom of the world. And that's what he was talking about, is the Jews that were a kingdom a part of the kingdoms of the world and not a part of the kingdom of God they're the ones that are getting cast out because they were looking to the world and not looking to the righteousness of God because we're not just supposed to look for the kingdom of God but the righteousness of God and if we're not doing that we may find ourselves as workers of iniquity. But let's go back to this case of Jacobson uh, versus the, the state of Massachusetts. And what it, Jacobson is a guy who is a minister from Sweden. And in Sweden, they tried to eradicate smallpox with a vaccination. They probably ran its course. They small vaccinations can give you a temporary immunity by infecting you with a milder form of the disease. Now they actually don't usually infect you with smallpox. They infect you with smallpox broke down or cowpox. The original vaccine was made from. A cow's blood that had cowpox because cowpox was similar to smallpox. And the reason they'd even discovered this was all the milkmaids who milked the cows were immune to smallpox because they were exposed to the fluids of the cows that caused their body to create an immune system reaction that protected them from smallpox. That's what they're trying to do with the vaccine. The vaccine doesn't cure anything. It doesn't annihilate the disease, it doesn't dispose of the disease, it doesn't attack the disease, it attacks you. And your body will produce with an immune response the necessary uh, exosomes to fight off and to prevent your body from letting in any kind of virus from the smallpox that might cause an illness. A reaction to it. So that's all it was doing. But when he got his vaccination in Sweden, he became deathly ill. Was injured by the vaccine. He didn't want to take it. His son had already been injured. One of his sons had already been injured by a reaction to vaccines. And he said, he and his son had had bad reactions to earlier vaccinations. And he had had been caused great and extreme suffering for a long period by a disease produced by the vaccination. He had evidence to prove this. And so he did not want to take the vaccination, was was being forced to pay five dollars. And of course now they have another next year they forcing everybody to have to pay five dollars again. Five dollars again. But that wasn't what the problem was. The he was fighting this because he thought it was unreasonable, arbitrary, and oppressive, and he took it to the Supreme Court. It was argued in December 6, 1904, and decided by February 20, 1905. Dershowitz is depending upon this case for his decision. We'll be right back. So we're we're going to take a look at this uh, Jacobson uh, versus Massachusetts case. And we're, again, we're doing it so that you understand the kingdom. And the, the kingdom of God is literally what a pure republic is. And a republic originally was Libra republica. The structure of the kingdom of God is a republic under God. Not under me. Not under Trump. Not under the courts. But under God. And it allows you certain inalienable rights that are granted to you by God that you get to maintain by exercising your responsibilities. Now, if you don't know what a republic is, go look it up. Go look up the word democracy. But you need to look it up at preparingyou.com so that you understand what we're talking about and what they used to be talking about when guys made the mistake of ratifying the Constitution of the United States. Now, the Constitution of the United States was... The people were not a party to the Constitution of the United States. It wasn't popular amongst the people. It would have been voted down had it been put to a vote. But it didn't need to put to a vote because the people were not a party to it. This was an agreement between the states to create an extra body called the United States to perform certain tasks that the states found difficult to perform individually. It was to assist the states... And to organize the states. And it was literally a corporate charter for the United States. That's why it reads as a corporate charter. A lot of people say, oh, it's not a corporation. You know, It is a corporation. From the beginning it was. It didn't suddenly change in 1640 or 1660 or 16... Or I'm saying 16... 18, 1865 or 1864. It didn't suddenly change. But we're going to take a look at some of those things. It did change during those times, but didn't suddenly become corporate at that time, yet this very court, excuse me, this very court that is deciding the Jacobson case actually decided some issues concerning the incorporation of the United States. And, uh, not that that's a big deal, some people make a real big deal out of it, but they, if you, people focus on these little things, and they, Loses the big picture? The big picture is the kingdom of God, the kingdom of the universe, and the Basilius Oranos, in which we are all moving around in. We're either a part of the polis of Christ or the polis of the world. And that's another thing that I was looking at this this week and, and people's misunderstanding of things. But anyway, let's get to the case real quick because we're going to run out of time before we get to all the things that I want to share with you. So we'll have to finish it in the program this afternoon. Question. Before the court. Did the mandatory vaccination laws of Massachusetts violate Jacobson's 14th Amendment right to liberty? What is the key words there? Is it mandatory? Vaccination? Violate? 14th Amendment right to liberty? 14th Amendment right to liberty? Well, 14th Amendment didn't come along until after the Civil War. Didn't you have a right to liberty before the 14th Amendment? (laughs) So suddenly now they're not talking about your inalienable right to liberty, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. They're talking about your 14th Amendment right to liberty. That's all the court's going to look at. That's what they're going to look at, is your 14th Amendment right to liberty. This is what they're going to decide on. So anyway, conclusion, the court held that the law was a legitimate exercise of the state's police powers to protect the public health and safety of its citizens. Local boards of health determined when mandatory vaccinations were needed because the states gave them that power thus making the requirement neither unreasonable nor arbitrarily imposed. Because they said reason was involved in the decision of the local board granted it that power by the states to decide when you needed to be vaccinated in order to protect the, the people. It was a bad decision on the part of the board, but it was correct, at least to some degree or from one point of view, on the part of the court. The court said that the state had an obligation to use force, if necessary, to protect the lives of its citizens against the threat of deadly disease. What force? How much force? Where does the force come from? What, what's going on here? Who, who has the power to force? I mean... Until John the Baptist, the kingdoms of the world were established by, you know, the, the utopia, the kingdom of heaven was established by force. The kingdom of Basilius Oranos was established by force. But John the Baptist was not going to use force. Jesus did not use force. A lot of people are going to object to that, and I can hear the objections already, but I'm not going to stray off on explaining that. Get a hold of us, join the network, we'll explain it to you. This is a proper position, according to the court, because the defense of life is one of the few proper functions of a just state. No, actually, the just state is supposed to protect your right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Not protect your life itself. They will tell you this. The cops don't have any responsibility to protect your life. That's not their job. The job of the government is to protect your right to pursue life, liberty, and that pursuit of happiness. Which means that Jacobson's pursuit of happiness and life included not getting the vaccination and they should have protected him from not getting a vaccination. And other people had to protect themselves if they thought a vaccination protected them. They had that right to choose. Who gave the government the right to choose for the individual, especially when the people were not even a party to the Constitution? And that, if you read our contracts coming into the Constitution, a whole book covers this in great detail free online. Just go look it up at hisholychurch.org. And you can, you can find it in the search engine there. So anyway, he says, that is why we warn our activist friends not to overdo their claim that shutdowns and forced vaccines violate their constitutional rights. If their lawsuit ever gets into court, they will lose. Because this was already decided in this other court case. Uh, the, the head justice in this was John Marshall Harlan. Which we'll take a little bit of a look at some of the justices involved in this, and then you can decide. But the point is, is the court is going to look at your Fourteenth Amendment right, not your inalienable right. They're not going to look at you as a member of a republic, but as a member of the democracy and a party to the Constitution. You've become a party now. You weren't a party originally. You've become one now because of a numerous events that were part of the actions of your own parents. But let's look at, John Marshall was the guy, and this decision was seven to two. You see, you got nine justices, seven of them decided, yeah, it's okay to force hold people down and force them to get vaccinations, although that's not actually what, is. you're only going to get a fine of five dollars. But do they even have a right to fine you the $5? So, in essence, that vaccination was mandatory, not compulsory. Because you could pay the $5. So, anyway, so what's our solution since you don't have any defense in the Constitution according to at least this decision? But let's... let's Dissect some of the people and why they came to this conclusion, and whether they're right or r- wrong. That's not the point. I want you to understand the environment in which you are moving. You know, so that you can find your way. So anyway, uh, uh, one of the things that this Ju- John Judge, John Marshall Harlan. Was known as the Great Dissenter due to the the many dissenting cases, is dissenting opinions in in cases that restricted civil liberties, including the civil rights cases of uh, Plessy and Ferguson. He he was pro segregation. He he had the dissenting appro- uh, appointment to that. Uh, despite his opposition to emancipation proclamation he did serve uh until 1863 in the northern army he strongly supported the union he was a pro union guy you know he was born in in frankfort kentucky but he was a strong union supporter and joined the, to fight in the civil war but he was against the Emancipation Proclamation. So everybody who says that the North was fighting to free the slaves, not not Harlan. <laughs> that's, that's not why he was fighting because he was against the Emancipation Proclamation. He might have been against some sort of forms of slavery, but he was pro-segregation. Anyway, Hardin's jurisprudence was marked by a lifelong belief in a strong national government. His sympathy for the economically disadvantaged and his view that the Reconstruction Amendments had fundamentally transformed the relationship between the federal government and the states. Now, those Reconstruction Amendments are 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments. And we'll look at them a little bit briefly too. There are other things that will fundamentally change the relationship between the federal government and the state governments and the people. But they weren't a part of those construction amendments, the ones that affected the people. Although, to some degree, they were. They did. The 14th Amendment did create this person. And that's why he's talking about the individual rights of Jacobson and his sons were affected by his 14th Amendment rights, not his inalienable rights. They're not going to decide your inalienable rights. They don't have the power to it because you're endowed by your creator with inalienable rights, but you're endowed by the government With your 14th Amendment rights. This is really hard to keep these ideas in people's minds because everybody's stuck in this rut. that somehow or other, the Constitution is their salvation. The Constitution is what it is. It's nothing more, nothing less. So, he was big government, top-down authority, uh, civil rights cases uh, in 1883, and the Plessy Ferguson case in 1896 which permitted the states and private actors to engage in segregation he wrote the dissenting in in major cases such as uh Pollock versus Farmers loan and trust United States versus uh uh Knight uh, company in 1895, which severely limited the power of the federal government to pursue antitrust action. Again, these are dissenting opinions. Uh, he he was a dissenting opinion in, in that uh, Pollock versus Farmer. I've quoted that many times in the book Covenants of the Gods. He uh, it struck down the federal income tax. He wrote a dissenting opinion on that. Standard Oil Company versus New Jersey. United States, 1911, which established the rule of reason, only considered illegal when the effect is to unreasonably restrain trade. Now, again, this rule of reason didn't apply to Mr. Jacobson. (laughs) You could restrict his rights for the benefit of the common good. You know, that's, but in a republic, you can't do that. You can't do that. And then what's the enforcing arm in a, in a republic? Because the government, again, in a real republic, the government is titular. It doesn't have the authority. The authority rests with the people, not with the government, and not collectively with the people as it does in a democracy. These are important concepts. If you don't understand this and you try to talk about these things, you'll be running rings around your own thinking. He was the first Supreme Court justice to advocate the Incorporation Bill of Rights. This is where I said we'd come back to this. This incorporation of the Bill of Rights associated... Now, I will admit that there was a corporate change after the Civil War. But the United States was always corporate in nature. It's a body. Two or more people gathered together under a pre-existing authority for a particular purpose. Uh, that a pre-existing authority was the states. But with, as a, it is often the case with the golems, they develop a mind of their own. <laughs> if you go read an article on golems, you'll understand golems are corporations. Uh, they the, and, and so anyway, but the incorporation of the Bill of Rights, because the original Bill of Rights, most people don't understand. When the Bill of Rights was ratified, the courts held that its protections extended only to the actions of the federal government. And that the Bill of Rights did not place limitations on the authority of the states and local governments. That's reasonable because the states created, they created the Constitution. That, that was an agreement between the states. And the Bill of Rights was added to limit the power of the federal government, not to limit the power of the states. It was to limit the power of the federal government. The tables are turned now. But if you don't understand these things, it it can be a cause for confusion. The important thing to remember, though, is that inalienable rights and 14th Amendment rights are not necessarily the same thing. Those rights you're endowed with by your creator, creator are not necessarily the same things. You know, the the post Civil War era, beginning around 1865, uh, with the 13th Amendment, which declared and abolished involuntary servitude. That they say abolished slavery. It did not really abolish slavery, depending on how you define the term. It abolished involuntary servitude. Voluntary servitude is still very legal in in America. And we could get to that eventually here too. Gave rise to the incorporation of other amendments, applying the more, applying more rights to the states and the people over time. Over time. That's those other bills that came along in 1913, 1927, 1933, 1970, that began to change your relationship with the government. But anyway, the, Portions of the Bill of Rights have been held to be applicable to the states and local governments by incorporation through the 14th Amendment in 1868. That's where the 14th Amendment was a part of this incorporation of the Bill of Rights into the states and eventually into the people over time. And the 5th Amendment in 1870 so what happened uh the 15th amendment in 1870 that's when the 15th amendment citizens the right to vote based on their citizenship could not be uh, a condition affected by race or color or a previous condition of servitude so that was really what that was all about but uh it says the provisions of the Fifth Amendment originally applied only to the federal government, but the U.S. Supreme Court ruled in 1897, after those three other amendments, in the Chicago versus, uh, was it Burlington and Quincy Railroad Company versus Chicago, uh, that the Fourteenth Amendment extended the effects of that provision to the states. So, you see them ruling in 1897. So, let's take a look at that Fifth Amendment. Uh, and, and what it says in there. To no person shall be held to answer for a capital or otherwise infamous crime unless on presentment of indictment of a grand jury except in cases arising in the land or naval forces or in the militia. When an actual service in time of war or public danger, public danger could be a disease, nor shall any person be subject to the same offense to, to be twice put in jeopardy, that's the double jeopardy cause of life or limb, nor shall be compelled in any criminal case to be a witness against himself nor be deprived of life, liberty, and property without due process of law, nor shall private property be taken for public use without just compensation. So that's that's uh, that's the Fifth, fifth Amendment where you, you start to see where they're talking about things like life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. And if you go back to the Declaration of Independence, which is actually not a formation document, it's just a declaration of independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable or unalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. That are not the only ones. But among them are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That And... And to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. That whenever the form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter and abolish it. And to institute a new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Can you do that? Can you do that now? You know, it. Have you consented? Have you consented and incurred debt that has to be dealt with before the consent can be withdrawn? You consent to... Pay somebody $50,000 for this truck and you sign a contract, you get in the truck, you crash the truck. Now you don't want to pay for it because the cr- truck is ruined. You still have to pay for the truck. Can you walk away from the debt? Well, I guess in some ways you could. because <laughs> you could declare bankruptcy. But bankruptcy... May put you in involuntary servitude, and <laughs> but anyway, we won't won't follow that. Let's take a look at some of the other. Uh, how much time do we have? We we can look at Mel Melville Fuller was one of the other ones who voted on on that uh, that case with Jacobson, and he thought forced vaccination was okay. Uh, he voted in favor of the civil rights for blacks in. And uh, 15%, or that's 5 out of 33 of the cases before him, so that's not a very high number, only 5% of the time. So he wasn't totally in favor of civil rights for blacks. Um, take Billings, uh, Henry Billings Brown, he was another one of the justices. He was a majority in the Plessy Ferguson, which upheld the legality of state segregation to provide separate but equal. He was pro Segregation. Uh, looking, you know, he, he approved the system of the Jim Crow laws until Brown versus Board, uh, of Education in 1954. So he was a segregationist. Uh, Edward Douglas White sided with the Supreme Court majority also on the Plessy Ferguson case. Uh, I was trying to think. Oh, he, he enlisted in the Confederate State Army. He fought on the Confederate side and under general richard taylor eventually attaining the rank of lieutenant and during the reconstruction area white was a member of the ku klux klan when he was on the supreme court he approved of the film of the birth of the nation which upheld the sort of reignited the clan this uh, birth of nation movie Joseph McKenna was also on the court and he voted in favor of this. Politicians served in all three branches of the U.S. and federal governments before he became the Supreme, you know, member of the Supreme Court. And, uh, he had never really developed a legal philosophy of his own. And, uh, but he was a centrist. And, uh, he was a very vigorous member of the Supreme Court. He authored about 600 and, I don't know, I think it's 614 majority opinions and 146 dissenting opinions. And the other guy was Oliver Wendell Holmes Jr. He was actually on this court as well. So understanding these different guys and what they were, were all about will help you understand eventually. But we're gonna finish this, this afternoon on our afternoon program. Until then, peace on your house, and may God be with you. God bless.
0: You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church.